This is another episode of Agony of Defeat. I'm Jonathan Weiler. And I'm Matt Andrews. How's it going, Matt? Great. How are you doing? Good. Uh, we're back from the winter holidays. Yeah, I guess we've been off for a little while. We have been off for yeah, a little while. Good to be back. I, yes. I guess I guess we should quickly reintroduce ourselves. Sure. I'm a professor of global studies here at UNC, interested in sports. I teach a course in sports and globalization. And I am a professor in the Department of History. Uh, I'm an American historian. I teach courses on the history of U.S. sport and uh, global sport as well. So we were originally the plan for today was we were going to talk about basketball movies. Right. We had so much fun talking about the Rocky films yeah. that we had uh, sports films on the brain. And, and I'm confident that we will come back to that. Absolutely. Because it's a good topic. There's great basketball movies to talk about. Are um, there great basketball movies, though? Well, I think so. Okay. Well, we will talk about that at a future date. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. We'll talk about that at a future date. But we decided... Matt decided. And I agree <laughs> I'm that, the decider. Yes, I agreed that it was a good idea, in part because the Baseball Hall of Fame voting took place this week. We have a new class of inductees. Yeah, the uh, results were announced Tuesday right. afternoon. And um, and because Matt and I are two old white guys, we still like baseball. <laughs> That's right. We thought that it would, <laughs> be really, it would be worth talking about both this new class of inductees and in particular one of the voting outcomes. Yeah, well, we've been trying to talk about baseball for a long time, yeah. um, and we do yeah. this rant of the week, right. and it was the voting that was going to be my rant, and we thought, aha, perfect. We have an excuse to talk about baseball, right. and nobody can stop us. Right, we'll just put that ball on the tee for you to take a swat. Sure, at. well, we'll talk about what the rant is, and then we'll, I think we'll come back to it. Maybe we'll visit, give, this will give us an opportunity to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame. But every year, the Baseball Writers of America they select the players that they think should go into the Baseball Hall of Fame. And that's who does the deciding in that case. It is people who have been covering baseball, I think, for at least 10 years, that's right? That's right. Um, and you get a vote. There's about 475 of them, I think. And to be eligible, you have to have been retired for five years. Played for 10. 10. Yeah, although there are rare exceptions yeah. to that. And and you have to get at least 75% of the vote. Correct. Of the voting writers to get elected to the Hall of Fame. That's right. And for the very first time, this has never happened in the history of the Baseball Hall of Fame, a player got 100% of the vote. Uh, the Yankees relief pitcher, I have an emphasis on relief pitching. I didn't realize that was a position. You, can't, you all can't see me right now, <laughs> but I just want to say I have a huge smile on my face because this is one of my favorite players of all time. Mariana Rivera got 100% of the vote. and Should have I'm, been 105%. I'm mad as hell. Opinion, no, I'm mad <laughs> as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Um, I'm sort of mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. So how do we, do we want to do this? Do we want to talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame first and then work our way towards Rivera's? Toward, toward, toward the rant? Yeah. Well, actually, let's do this. Why don't you give us an initial idea of what you find objectionable? Sure. And then we'll sort of work back from there. And Okay. Should Mariano Rivera be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. He absolutely should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, which he was. And I suppose I'm playing this up a little bit. I'm playing the crotchety old man here. But in my day, 
when it came to Baseball Hall of Fame, no one got in with 100% of the vote. In fact, no one has ever gotten in with 100% of the vote. So I'm going to make a lot of different arguments, but I suppose in a nutshell my argument is this. If Babe Ruth does not get 100% of the vote, Mariano Rivera does not get 100% of the vote. Or Hank Aaron. Or Ted Williams. Or Ty Cobb. Or Willie Mays, and we could go on and on. And so forth and so on. Yes, yeah. Uh, So... I think if I had been a Hall of Fame voter, and there was a question out there, is Rivera going to get 100% of the vote? And there were some people saying he's going to do it, and some people said, no, no, someone's going to sort of grouchily abstain and say no. Like they always do. Like they always do. I assumed someone was going to abstain. If I had had that opportunity, I think I would have been that guy, and I would have abstained just for the historical continuity of it, you know? Once again, if Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Ted Williams, Joe DiMaggio, and we'll talk about some of their percentages in a little bit, if they don't get in in with 100% of the vote, neither should Mariano Rivera. Okay, so just to clarify something, because a, a fair question to ask is, why are these other guys not getting 100% of the vote, right? That's arguably the stupid thing that's been going on here. That's absolutely and right. Anybody would have voted against, say, Ken Griffey Jr. R- sure. Or Tom Seaver. Or, uh, or Babe all, Ruth. Or Babe Ruth or all the <laughs> yeah. other plays we just mentioned. One reason for it, just to clarify how the voting works, is I think you get to vote for 10 players. Yeah. Is that right? Currently it's 10. Yeah. Right. So you get to vote for 10 players. There's some few dozen who are eligible every year. Right. You get to vote for 10. And so what writers are thinking, among other things, is, okay, I know Mariano Rivera is getting into the Hall of Fame. Hmm. I know that he's there's no chance he's not going to get 75%. So I'm going to save my vote for somebody much farther down the list, somebody who has hmm. been borderline, who I think is legitimate, and I'll let somebody else do the work of voting for. That's the interesting. Guy who's well, we're getting sort of inside baseball here, well, I mean, which I, we I, should. But I, I never heard, thought of that. I have heard writers huh. say that. I always assumed someone didn't get 100% of the vote because there was some holier-than-thou nut job out there who thought, you know what, Babe Ruth drank a little too much for my liking. Right. He caroused it. I once tried to interview him, and he was mean to me, so I'm not going to vote well, for him. Or, for the as you said, if Babe Ruth doesn't get 100%, then yes. Ken Griffey Jr., who I'm using his name because before Mariano Rivera, he had the highest percentage vote. 99% of, of the vote. Right. Yeah. So, so, but I think it's a combination. I think some voters are doing it because they're curmudgeonly. Yes. And they think they're using the Babe Ruth, Matt Andrews standard. Right. So I would be the uh, curmudgeon would be in the this curmudgeonly, example. Yeah. Um, some are using the, what was his, Burt Sugar, the boxing writer? I yeah. think of him as the paradigmatic, curmudgeonly, everything was better back in his day. Sure. Nothing is as good now. Right. And he wore, you know. You can't like smoke that, cigars in that, that sporting hound, arenas anymore. T- hound tooth hat. Yeah, he had the, a fedora, actually. A fedora, okay. Yeah. And the cigar right. and all that. Right. He's my idol. So, <laughs> right, so it's that, and it's, it's a combination Don't you want to teach your classes wearing a fedora and smoking uh, actually, a cigar? I think yeah. it would add a little ambiance <laughs> to the sport history course. Yeah. Definitely. Um, it worked for Bear Bryant. But well, no, he wore the, the he wore the house suit. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk a little yeah. bit about the Hall of Fame as an institution then, and I think this is part of my where my um, displeasure comes from. It's this notion that these baseball writers are the guardians of the of the baseball truth, right? And the whole enterprise, the Baseball Hall of Fame, 
first of all, the Baseball Hall of Fame was created in 1939, not really to honor baseball greats, but as a way of bringing tourists to Cooperstown, New York. It's not owned by Major League Baseball. Baseball Hall of Fame is a private enterprise. It was created by hotel owners who wanted people to come and stay in their hotels. The business of America is business. That's right, yeah. People weren't coming anymore because of, uh, well, first of all, Prohibition had just sort of decimated that area. It was a big big beer-producing area. Uh, And then, of course, the Great Depression led to uh, fewer tourism dollars. Um, So it was... You know, it was this this scheme in order to get people into Cooperstown. But what, Matt, yeah. tell us, what's the significance of the year? Why was 1939 the year the Hall of Fame opened? Yeah, so 1939 is the 100th anniversary of the supposed mythic, uh, Un- i.e. Untrue. untrue invention of baseball. Was this the story you were told growing up? hundred oh, percent. Me too. Yeah. So yeah. the the story that I was told growing up from my father, how I think believed it as fact, I think he probably still does believe it as, as fact because so many people want to believe it. The story is that in 1839, you had a bunch of Cooperstown schoolboys who were playing games with bats and balls and bases, but there were no rules to this game. And someone brought a little bit of structure to this chaos. His name was Abner Doubleday. Um, and as the story goes, he sat down in 1839 and right there on the spot drew up the game, the rules for a new game that he called baseball. And this is the story that Major League Baseball told for at least a century. You know where the story comes from? Like who came up with this story first? Tell us. Okay, yeah. yeah so this yeah. is such a great yeah. story. The whole Abner Doubleday creating baseball in 1839 in Cooperstown, New York, comes from an argument between Albert Spaulding and a guy named Henry Chadwick. Um, I won't go into too much detail here. But they're arguing over whether baseball is an American game or whether it's just a knockoff of the English game Rounders. And Albert Spaulding, who's very much invested in baseball, he produces baseball gear, he owns a baseball team, he writes about baseball, he wants to convince Americans, convince himself that baseball is American. So he puts together a committee. They don't do any firsthand research. This is the Mills Commission. This is the Mills Commission, exactly. The Mills Commission in 1905. What they do is they send out letters to old timers, old guys, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, old guys with memory problems. And they say, hey, do you know anything about the invention of baseball? One of these letters. What better way to investigate history than drawing on flawed memories? Flawed memory, yeah. Well, it's an interesting question. How flawed is it? So one letter comes back. It's from a guy named Abner Graves. Abner was a very popular name in the 19th century, obviously. And he says, I was there in 1839 in Cooperstown when Abner Doubleday, my friend, drew up the rules for, for baseball. A couple problems with this story. Abner Graves was insane, and I mean that literally. Um, Abner Graves was a con man. Abner Graves was a failed businessman. Abner Graves, when he was 80 years old, a little trivia for you here, he married a 40-year-old woman who he later murdered in a marital dispute. Um, He was spared execution by pleading insanity, and he spent the rest of his life in an insane asylum. And the entire foundation myth <laughs> yeah. of our national pastime this, is based on that man's recollection. This is baseball's authority on the It doesn't on, on get the more credible than that. 
Abner Doubleday was not in Cooperstown in 1839. Abner Doubleday was at West Point training to be an officer. Abner Doubleday wrote a two-volume autobiography, two volumes, <laughs> in which he detailed everything he did in his life, and he never once mentioned baseball. Doesn't matter. Major League Baseball says the game was invented in Cooperstown in 1839. It has American origin through and through. And then someone says, well, let's put the Baseball Hall of Fame here. And as I know from what you've told me, Matt, uh, Commissioner Bud Selig in 2010, when asked, affirmed that, yes, he really did believe that Abner Doubleday invented baseball. But Selig has a degree in history from the University of Wisconsin. That is bad history, I am here to say. The University of Wisconsin is a great history department. That's right. He actually funds a a sport historian position at the University of Wisconsin, which I actually want very badly, so I take it all back, what I just said about Bud Selig. That would be an awesome job. By the way, I'm just recalling a memory, which is that in the summer of 1977, when I was 11 years old, I took a trip to Cooperstown. Okay, so you've been there. I have yeah. been there, and I remember I haven't been back in over 40 years. And from all accounts, the museum that is the Hall of Fame has just right. gotten better and better. And yeah, um, I was there in 2005 for a symposium, delivering a, a paper there. That we actually had a dinner in the hall uh, nice, among all nice. all the plaques. Uh-huh. Um, Got to meet some interesting people. Yeah, if you're a baseball fan, if you're you know not terribly religious, um, like I am not, uh, this is about as close as a, to a religious experience as one can get. Well, and, and what I was going to say is that one of my most vivid memories from visiting the Hall of Fame in 1977 is being on Doubleday Fields. Yeah, that's right, um, where baseball was invented, Where, where baseball was invented. Or, so, was, so where it was not invented, When you actually. asked about, do you remember, you know, that myth as a kid? I, yeah. You know, I went to the Hall of Fame, I'm on Doubleday Field, and it says very clearly, this is named for Abner Doubleday, who invented baseball. Yeah, that's right. Essentially out of whole cloth in 1839. If you snoop around uh, Cooperstown, there's a plaque devoted to Abner Doubleday. Uh, there's a statue of him, and on the plaque it says, um, Abner Doubleday is known as the lad who invented the game in the pasture. And then it says, uh, only cynics would question otherwise. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's cynical to kind of want to uh, figure out where baseball actually comes from, but I don't know. That's what we're dealing with here. Right. So, okay, so the, the Hall of Fame opened in 1939. Yeah, they inducted their first class in 36. Let's look at some of the, the names here. It's a Ty Cobb. 98%. Babe Ruth. 95%. Uh, Christy Mathewson. Christy Mathewson, 91%. Walter Johnson. Very good, 88%. Walter, 417 wins, uh-huh. second most all-time Twelve percent of the voters did not think he should. And, be in the and Hall for of Fame. and until twenty twenty five years ago was the all time strikeout leader. And, and yeah, had way more strikeouts than anybody threw a fastball that would probably hold up with today's fastballs. Right, right, I think, right. and this was a hundred years ago. Walter Big Train, Big Johnson. Train Johnson, and the yeah. last one is Honus Wagner. Honus Wagner, yeah, he has the third highest. Uh, he ninety five percent as well, just slightly under. If you're a Sabermetrics fan, what's Sabermetrics? A, a, a fan of, the, <laughs> of baseball analytics. Are you a fan of baseball analytics? I am. A fan I'm not of smart base- enough to be a fan, I'm of, a baseball fan of baseball analytics. analytics. Honus Wagner is was so much better than any player in his era. This is the aughts 
and the 1910s. Yeah. Playing shortstop for, I don't know if they were called the Pirates. They were the Pirates then, yeah. Um, Was so much better than anybody else that by this statistic that everybody now uses, war, wins above replacement, Mm -hmm. he is like off the charts great. Interesting. Okay. So uh, don't give me any of this Derek Jeter is the best shortstop of all time stuff. No, 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 no. I would would not do that. All right, good. Uh, An absolutely worthy Hall of Famer. Derek Jeter, you think so? No question. (laughs) All right. I'm just, I'm just, the kids (laughs) call that trolling. Yeah, 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 I'm triggering you, Jonathan. And it's working. Is what we say. Yeah. You're insulting Mariana Rivera. You're questioning Derek Jeter. Well, look, I think, again, if Cobb does not get 100 percent of the – if Cobb and Ruth do not get 100 percent of the vote, I'm sticking with my thesis yeah. here. Then, yeah. Do you want to make a case for why Mariano Rivera should have received 100 percent of the uh, vote no. or at least should be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I'll definitely make a Hall of Fame Some people case. don't know. Yeah. I'll we were, we make... were just talking to, to Keaton before we went on the air, and I think Keaton, to quote him, said, why should he be in the Hall of Fame? He's just a relief pitcher. Yeah. That's more or less what you said, right, Keaton? Yeah, kind of. I'm I'm paraphrasing. But so, you know, educate Keaton a little bit about— All right, before before we come back to Keaton's mistaken notions about Mariano Rivera, let's—I do want to talk about Ty Cobb for a minute because one of the reasons people might vote against Ty Cobb, and maybe, Matt, you want to say something more about this, is that Ty Cobb had a checkered moral— Record. He was a racist. He was a racist. Yeah, right. in, in a racist era. Right. Um, so, so maybe that wouldn't have affected voting for him back then. Well, look, he still got more votes than Babe Ruth, right. uh, which is really, right. really right. saying something. So I'm not sure it did affect him. But at, I guess, I guess, all. I guess the larger, the larger point is there are some players who are worthy in terms of their on-field performance. Yes, but because of off-field misconduct. Questions have been raised about their fitness for the Hall. Yeah, well, so, for example, Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame. Um, He's actually not even technically eligible based on a rule that the Hall of Fame passed. If you're on— He's on a permanently banned list. Yeah, if you're on baseball's banned list, you cannot be considered eligible. And they actually passed that so they would not have to vote on— Pete right. Rose. And, and and he's certainly a worthy Hall of Famer. Oh, Pete Rose should absolutely no question, be in the Hall right? of Fame. The all-time hits leader. Yeah. And, and I mean, actually, I should say this. Whenever people ask me, should this player be in the Hall of Fame? Should this player be in the Hall of Fame? Aren't you outraged that this player isn't in the Hall of Fame? Um, I could say, well, I'm not going to be outraged because Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. Actually, what I say is I'm not going to be outraged until Marvin Miller gets into the Hall of uh, Fame. We, we agree about Marvin Do we? Miller. Okay. Yes. So Marvin yes. Miller is the attorney who led the labor union for, for Baseball Players Association that got rid of the reserve clause, just ran intellectual circles around One the One of owners. the most brilliant labor organizers in modern American yes. history. And everyone always said, once free agency comes to baseball, baseball will die. It won't be popular. If anything, free agency just made baseball more popular. That guy should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, agreed. But why is he not in there? And, because the owners hate him. And by contrast, Bud Selig, who was major league commissioner for, I think, 22 years, yeah. should not be in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion, if the players from the steroids era, and I know we're going to come back and talk about that, okay. those players are banned from the Hall of Fame. Right. If Hall of Fame voters refuse to vote for those players, they cannot vote for the commissioner who presided over that era and despite all his claims to the contrary, knew 100% 
what was going on, when it was going on. Well, like I said, I want that Bud Selig job at Wisconsin, so um, I'm going to take take <laughs> totally the fifth disagree. on this. But I'm actually nodding along with uh, you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally <laughs> right. agree. So we've got a few threads going right now. I want to. I do want to address Rivera, but then I want to come back to actually the question of who's in and who's out of the Hall of Fame. Okay. Because I think that's sort of helpful in thinking about what the Hall of Fame is really supposed to mean. Well, let's let's do that first, because I okay. think it, it, okay. it's in that context, yeah. maybe, that Mariano yeah. Rivera's 100% um, voter approval makes more, more yeah. sense. Yeah. Also eligible uh, this time around were Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds. Uh, and Mark McGuire. And Mark McGuire, yeah. Um, I think you can make a compelling argument against McGuire. But, but Bonds and Clemens are the greatest hitters and pitchers of the uh, last quarter right. century, right? right? But Bonds is arguably the greatest player who ever lived. Yep. Arguably. Yeah, he has Babe Ruth-like numbers. He does. And that's really saying Extraordinary. something. Extraordinary. Now, they got, what was it, 57% of the vote? Yeah. Uh-huh. They're, they're slowly creeping towards 75, but they still got a long way to go. And the reason why these two amazing players do not get in is that there are very credible, and look, they obviously took steroids. Yes. Both of them took, yes. took steroids. Um, anyone who knew anything about baseball, I think, really knew it at the time, although a lot yes. of people like to... Uh, insist that it wasn't true. And so one of the rules when you're voting, I've got it up here right here, voting. Voting shall be based upon the player's record. I got no problem with their record. Their playing ability, got no problem with their playing ability. And here it gets more complicated. Integrity, sportsmanship, character, and then contributions to the teams on which the player played. So it's integrity, sportsmanship, and And character. character. And there are a lot of baseball people who say, based on these rules, I cannot vote for Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens because they cheated. They cheated. Right. And they did. They, right. they cheated by right. taking steroids. Right. Um, however, shall we talk about some of the players who are in the Hall of Fame, keeping in mind those three words, integrity, sportsmanship, and, and character? Yes. Okay, so you started with Ty Cobb. With Ty Cobb. Right. Cap Anson. Uh, the greatest player of the 19th century, the first guy to ever get 3,000 hits. He absolutely detested black people. More than any other individual, um, baseball drawing the color line at the end of the 19th century and just getting rid of all of the black players, uh, Cap Anson had more than any other individual more to do with that than anyone else. He was the star for the Chicago Cubs. White Stockings. White Stockings, excuse me. And he would refuse. Sorry, who, who become the Cubs? Yeah, right. And yeah. he would refuse to play, right, if against black, teams that had black that had black players. players. And when the greatest player in baseball says, "I'm not going to play against black people," the owners say, "Well, we want Cap Anson, and we don't care about these black players." So this is how segregation happens. Right. Rogers Hornsby, right? What was it 426 in 1920? 424. 424 in 1920. Right. Maybe I'm getting them mixed up. Almost certainly a member of the Ku Klux Klan. This is Rogers Hornsby, a superstar second baseman, mostly for the St. Louis Cardinals. Right. Has the second highest career batting average of all time. That's right. A legitimate all-time great. In the Hall of Fame. In the Hall of Fame. Despite his Klan membership. Commissioner Landis. um, If there is anyone who could be pointed to, he's the first commissioner of Major League Baseball. He's the guy that banned all of the Black Sox in the wake of that Black Sox um, gambling scandal. If there is anyone who could be pointed to as the great obstructionist to desegregation in the first half of the 20th century, it's Judge Landis. 
I don't know, integrity, sportsmanship, character, I don't see it. So, so what's interesting, Matt, is that it seems like the way that clause has evolved is to say that if you dishonor the game itself uh-huh. by not playing with integrity, right. that is the character basis for keeping players out of the Hall of Fame. Okay, but you're lobbing me a softball right now, right? Are you doing this on purpose? Well, I'm presenting a what I'm guessing is a very common point of view. Yeah, I think you're right. For writers voting for the Hall of Fame. Well, allow me to retort. Please. <laughs> and, um, as Jules in Pulp Fiction says, um, Gaylord Perry, who I absolutely adore and love Gaylord Perry. I saw him pitch live for the Giants. He pitched for, for many teams. Gaylord Perry. One over 300 games. One over 300 a, games. A standard that is unachievable in, in, to, the mo- in, in modern In today's baseball. game, pretty yeah. much. Yeah. He cheated all the time. Uh, he doctored the baseball. He put Vaseline on the ball. Um, the so-called spitball. The so-called spitball. He cut the baseball with foreign objects like like emery boards. What's so interesting? I, I, I'm sorry. I just I told yeah. I have one great Gaylord Perry story to tell. Oh, I'd love to hear it. He is a notorious cheater, as you described. Everybody knew, but it's not notorious, right? It's well, celebrated. Well, right. He, notorious yeah. in that when he was playing, yes. everybody knew he was doing. Got it. it. Okay. And the story he tells is that one day an umpire came out to check him uh-huh. before the game. Right, to see what he had on him. To try to find where the, the, the banned substances were. Sure. And he had kept Vaseline, like, on his neck. Okay. And he, so he would, like, rub his neck, and then he'd have the Vaseline on the ball, which would allow it to sort of release from his hand in the way that he wanted to. So he to. had a really shiny Adam's apple. So, yeah. so he's bending down. Oh, he's hiding the he's Adam's apple. He's got like his chin to his chest, he says, while the umpire is looking at him. And at least according to his story, the umpire didn't find anything, but he had such a crick in his neck from the inspection that he couldn't pitch that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, I like it. Anyway. Well, right. So you'll you, you'll go to any measures right. uh, to win baseball games. You'll go to any measures to hide the fact that you're cheating. The thing about Perry, and I don't necessarily disagree with this, is that we find his cheating something to celebrate. Colorful. It's colorful. It's artful. Um, Endearing. Yeah. uh, It's ingenious. Why do we celebrate that type of cheating? I mean, we really do. People think that that's part of the lore of Gaylord Perry, yet we do not let Bonds and Clemens to get into the Hall of Fame Uh, for a different type of cheating. By the way, amphetamines. Yeah. Which are illegal, right? And were in the sixties and seventies. And were in the sixties and seventies. Were rife in baseball at the time. Probably every great player, including Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, et cetera, used them at some point. Yes, they were just readily right. available for right. Jim Bowden in his classic book, Ball Four, yeah. says they were available in bowls in the clubhouse. Yeah, that's right. Right, right. The greenies. They were in the little greenies. green green pills. Right. So why are we the use so of illegal drugs exercised and intent on moralizing yeah. about this more recent generation? I think it has something to do with the idea that it's science and needles. And, yeah, and we don't understand it. And we don't understand it. It just seems more serious than just popping a pill. Yeah, no, I totally... I'm not saying that's agree. a correct distinction, but yeah. I just think that's how people think I guess about so. It. It's scientific, and 
we Americans, we don't like science very much. Right. I guess <laughs> yeah. not. Right. right. Maybe, maybe that's, that's what it I is. I want to go back and make one point about bonds. Yeah. And this is similar for Clemens, although even more for bonds. The interesting thing to me about Bonds is that we kind of know when he started taking steroids. Oh, I mean, yeah. All the reporting tells us yeah. it began in 1999 yeah. for he was upset because other players were starting to rack up home run totals. Yes. That he Inferior had. players were getting all the attention right. because they were taking steroids. And the thing is that through the 1998 season, Bonds was a rookie in 1986, between then and 1998 – he put up a first ballot Hall of Fame career. In other words, yeah, so had he retired had he, and I'd at never the end taken of the 98th season, uh, no question that's a Hall of Fame I'm career. I'm imagining you'd say the same thing about Clemens. Definitely I, true of Clemens. Yeah. Definitely not true of Maguire. Correct. Which is, I think, one reason you can distinguish between them. Yes. If you want to use that standard at all. Yeah. And there are plenty of writers who say, you know what? I don't know who was using and who wasn't back then. Yeah. I just know that it was absolutely rampant. Yeah. Baseball didn't even start testing for this stuff seriously yeah. until 2004, which shows you how much they cared about it. Yeah. So why are we holding them to a standard that their sport didn't while they were playing Yeah, it? yeah. Well, I know you need to talk about R- Rivera then, but we've got the, the list here of all the players who are in the Hall of Fame and the percentages – that they got, um, you know, and I'm just kind of glancing through it here. You know, there are guys who just miss getting 100 um, percent. Hank Aaron, 97.8 percent. Um, a couple of the names that stand out to me as having obscenely low approval percentages. Joe DiMaggio, 88 percent. Right. Which I can only figure is because he was disliked enough by writers in his day that just because he was, they just, they just, yeah, he was taciturn. Yeah, that, that's what I hear. Maybe, maybe they were jealous that he was married to Marilyn Monroe. That's too. possible. Yeah. But you know, but this this actually speaks to I feel like the larger point you're raising, Matt, which is that these writers are they're not just the arbiters of who gets into the Hall of Fame. They're supposed to be the arbiters of this like sanctified, yeah, almost holy shrine to baseball. So they're not just pronouncing on what they do on the field, but on character, et cetera. And they're just, they're just regular people with their petty jealousies and their limited understanding. Oh, and of, their flaws. And, and their and, flaws. Yeah. And so that, it makes it hard to take seriously in some ways what the Hall of Fame purports to be. Well, the, the one that really bothers me then um, is Jackie Robinson. So Jackie Robinson desegregates the game with class and dignity. What he endures on the field, rookie of the year, MVP. Is a great player. I think he's probably top five in uh, second baseman. Um, He got 77% of the vote. So he, I mean, barely made it. Right. He gets in even if he wasn't a great player, in my opinion. He gets in just for desegregating the game. You want to talk about character and integrity, that guy had buckets of it. All right, so this this gets us to Rivera, and then and then we'll who what what number did Rivera wear? Uh, Rivera wore number forty two for Jackie Robinson. That's right. Yeah, and Rivera is the last player that Major League Baseball ever allowed to wear the number forty two. That's right. They they the grandfathered guys. Forty two has in. been retired for all time, right? Because of Jackie Robinson, and Rivera was the last active player. Who was allowed to wear the number. Yeah, okay. So I think there's a couple of reasons why he won 100% of the vote. So let me say quickly, he was a great player. He yes, deserved, of course he was. He deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. 
he became a great closer at a time when the bullpen and relief pitching became central to the sport in a way it hadn't been previously. And, and is continuing to be. And, and yeah. now even ever more. more so. Right. Um, if you look at him by war, wins above replacement, he actually has the same war as mid-level Hall of Fame starters. Oh, really? Which is pretty good, considering yeah. he only pitched 70 innings a yeah. year. Yeah, Shows you how great he was, actually. Yeah. And then when you add in his postseason performance, which was so astronomically great, yes, um, that I think he, he's a cinch to be in the Hall of Fame. The 100%, I think, is for a couple of reasons. Okay. One, in an era of muscle-bound, steroid fueled ball players from the perspective of writers. Right. He Bonds, was and this, Bonds and Clemens. Bonds and Clemens and McGuire, right, right. who looks like, you know, Bluto. Paul Bunyan. Uh, yeah. yeah. Rivera was this slight guy. Mm-hmm. He weighed like 170 pounds. Hmm. He looked like just a regular guy. He was by all accounts just extraordinarily nice and decent. Yeah. And had exactly the kind of good character that sports writers love and extol. So he's the antidote to, to the I, steroid I, era? I think there is a perception that yeah. that's the case. And he got all those guys out. Yeah, right, know? yeah. And so that combined with his certainly Hall of Fame-worthy career and maybe a pressure that this 100% standard is actually kind of stupid. It is stupid. Yeah. Um, I think probably all those things combined to... Make him 100%. So that does not mean he's the greatest player in the Hall of Fame. Well, that's one of the problems with this. Baseball is such a numbers game, and we gauge excellence by numbers. I fear that in 20 or 30 years, people are going to go to this list, having never seen any of these players. It would make perfect sense that Mariano Rivera is the greatest player of all time because he got the highest percentage ever. And that would not be true. Right. Okay. Even though... He's 100% in my heart. Oh, that's so sweet. That's so nice. All right. And that is is clearly time to shift gears then after that statement. We do want to say about something that's been going on on this campus, right? You want to talk about that? Yeah. So uh, I think most people who listen to this would be aware of the Silent Sam Confederate statue controversy that has overtaken this campus, really, especially for the last year and a half. And our chancellor, Chancellor Folt. Uh, is she is, our former chancellor as of right now? She, no, she, j- January 31st. 31st, that's right. Day, that's right, yeah. Uh, made a decision a week ago, I think it was a week ago, to remove the base of the statue, really to, I think, in a way, put a final nail in the coffin of the even the possibility that the statue would return to campus. Or at least in that position. At least right. in that position. Yeah, yeah. And she announced, when she made that announcement... Uh, that she was going to resign at the end of the semester, and the Board of Governors of the North Carolina system, which is filled with, you know, reactionary politicians, decided to move up her resignation date to January 31st. Fired. Fired. Essentially, yeah. Um, So... um, Well, one of the things that I was so pleased to see in the immediate aftermath of of this, and I think we talked about this before, I can't remember if we talked about it on this podcast, is the role that UNC athletes, um, past and present, but particularly uh, former uh, UNC basketball players now in the NBA or recently retired, the stand that they were taking, guys like Harrison Barnes, right, being very vocal um, and calling for the administration to get rid of this statue. Um, One of the things that I found so interesting the day after this decision was made, that is when Fultz was, um, when her retirement was 
accelerated was um, an interview that the Daily Tar Heel did with Charles Scott. The first black basketball player at UNC. First black varsity player, yeah, who plays in the 60s. And Charles Scott, um, you know, who went into, um, into retirement talking about how proud he was to be a Tar Heel, spoke up about how ashamed he actually was to be a Tar Heel in light of the way that Chancellor Fult had been treated. By the Board of Governors. By the Board of Governors, yeah. And so I think uh, I like to see when famous... Tar Heels speak up about this issue. I think it's important that they continue to to do so. You know, and Charles Scott, I'm glad to see in particular him speaking up in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. He was kind of put on the spot a couple of times and asked to speak about the black student movement. He was asked to boycott the 1968 Summer Olympics. You know, he's been put in these difficult positions. Um, and I think it's great that Charles Scott and others are speaking up in we can have an argument about how much we should passionately defend Chancellor Fult because she didn't do everything in her power to get rid of that that statue. But she certainly doesn't deserve to be kicked out in the way that she has for ex- getting rid of that statue from our no, campus. And I, and I certainly I do respect and appreciate her final act. Ab- absolutely. A great deal. As do I. Yeah. yeah. All right, Matt, this was fun. It was fun. We will do this again soon. Uh, talk about baseball? We'll, t- uh, we'll, we'll talk maybe yeah. about more about <laughs> no, baseball. No one likes baseball well, anymore. We like it, so yes, we do. that's what's important. And as a reminder, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes. And if you like us, please share and subscribe and just generally spread the word about... Spread the gospel of spread, agony of defeat. Spread the gospel of agony of defeat. Okay, until next time.